Well, good morning. It's great that you are joining us for the EV Church live stream, wherever you are on the coast. Now, it kind of feels in this season like we've got the remote and we've made this decision to, to jump in. But can I encourage you that this is God's initiative. It's, we are His people and He calls us to come to Him, to come to His Word, to remember and rejoice in Him. I'm just going to remind us from the book of Hebrews how Jesus makes that possible. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So, let us then approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's remember our Saviour and the grace that He's poured out for us. I invite you to stand and let's sing together. Cry. 
have for us. You sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we can be raised to life. Thank you for your forgiveness when we continually ignore you and try to be the boss of our own lives. Please help us to live for you. Thank you that we can gather on the live stream this morning. Please, Lord, would you enable us to meet together in person soon. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Welcome to you. Um, I'm Phil. If I haven't met you before, this is Sarah. Um, Sarah, what are you drinking this morning? I'm (laughs) drinking a lovely cup of fake coffee. I wish it was full. I love, I love that they've made out that we were just casually having a coffee together. Oh, and I didn't notice you there. Um, You might have noticed. um, Yeah, we've got our our lovely little comfy couch set design. They're beautiful looking couches from Kmart, I believe. Um, and they're awful to sit on. Yeah. I, feel like I, <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting on a block of concrete. 
And, um, and I've just switched my abs on to lean back <laughs> into the chair. Well, you can see my legs too. This, this is a chair that's <laughs> made for a small child. I regret wearing shorts this morning. Um, but fantastic uh, to have you all here with us this morning, um, particularly if you are new. Um, yeah, special welcome to you. I hope you enjoy this morning. I hope you find it um, uh, encouraging or thought-provoking. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if you are after care, please text CARE to the number on the screen as well. Um, now, we have some family news. Paul Rowe was admitted to North Shore Hospital on Friday and he had open heart surgery yesterday. So, um, all has gone well, praise God. Um, he's in ICU and on ventilation, um, but we're going to pray for him and the family now. So, join me. Father, we thank you that Paul's open heart surgery went well yesterday. We pray that Paul might be restored to full health and may have a speedy recovery. May Paul, Anne and the family be comforted knowing that you are a good God who has all things in control. Please sustain Anne as she cares for Paul. And Father, would you give them confidence in your unfailing love and provision for them in Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, something else to let you guys know about, um, as you are all well aware, um, in our society moving forward, there are some um, challenging conversations, debates around vaccines that are happening, particularly with vaccine passports. Um, and so as a church, we need to engage in that conversation and what that will mean for us. Um, and so I want to invite everybody at home to um, these two Zoom meetings that we have on Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30. Um, and you can choose which of those that you're able to come to. Um, just to start that conversation, ask questions, um, hear what um, we have to say about what that might mean for us as a church family moving forward. You've probably heard of Have A Go. We've been talking about it a bit at church. And if you're not sure what that is, it's a website that church have put together to help us all spiritually grow in this time where it's really tricky, we feel solo, we're not gathered together as a church. And so um, check out the website if you haven't already. But we're going to hear now from a few people who have given it a go. I'm Josh. We, um, we just live around the corner from each other, so we thought we'd go for a walk. Josh, what are you having a go at? Having a walk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Nicole and I have decided we're going to have a go at doing our morning and evening prayer together. So far, we've just kicked it off, but it's been really sweet. Hey everyone, we're the Spires. Um, over the past few weeks in lockdown, ways we've been trying to have a go is, well, me personally, throughout the week, I watch Kids Church, the under fives with my kids, Salvador and Willa. Um, we try and remember some songs and some like Bible verses. It's really encouraging to see them grow in their faith and um, even to see them break out in song in the shower, while we're driving the car, cooking dinner. It's really cute. And yeah, it's good for me to listen to the truths of Jesus and the Bible, just explained really simply in times when my mum brain is a bit busy. Um, I've been learning scripture. So um, last week was Psalm 1, which was good to remember. Um, walk not in the counsel of the wicked. And then this week has been um, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God from the beginning. Just wonderful words to know and to testify to God's faithfulness. I started to read Psalms. So I did a Psalm a day. I'm up to Psalm 51. So it's been pretty cool. It's been awesome to see the Psalm guys um, just pouring their hearts out to God. 
and um, telling him like it is. I've been taking notes during the sermons, which is a great way for me to maintain focus and also a good thing to uh, reread throughout the week, um, a good refresher. Um, something that we've been doing to have a go in this time is uh, just working on our family Bible reading time. Some lovely friends gifted us this one that I'll take off 20 for a second um, that we've been really enjoying. Um, we've also been trying really hard to um, get to the stream on time and be ready for it and be organised and have it kind of set up um, for the girls to have something to do, which isn't always, uh, doesn't always work out like that. And it can be a bit messy and tough, but we try to be a bit flexible if it means just watching it on a laptop with headphones outside by their play. Um, yeah, just giving it a go, knowing that it's not going to look perfect and it's going to be a bit messy and hard at the moment. Um, but yeah, trying to still live in the um, church. Go and see you Um, there's some great things there, very encouraging to see. Um, I mean, I have to say, for me, having a go just looks like um, turning up to church or watching church each week on time um, and getting myself to Bible study. Um, that's got my hands full at the moment anyway. Yeah, totally. It's been a long lockdown. And how are you feeling? I know that I'm feeling very spiritually dry at the moment and just a bit weary. I'm struggling to read the Bible personally. I'm just completely forgetting to read the Bible with my kids. And the way that I'm speaking to my family isn't necessarily showing God's love to them. Um, so just over it, um, not feeling very enthusiastic. Um, and so we just wanted to have a time in our morning to just stop and reflect. We're going to have a look at this video and it's from Psalm 1, Isaac Henderson put it together last year to just encourage us all this morning.
Loving Father, you know that many of us are feeling weary. We're feeling spiritually dry and distant from you. We miss being gathered here at church with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us are struggling health-wise, relationally or financially. Thank you that no matter how much we fluctuate in our emotions, you are steadfast. You are our solid rock. You show us unfailing love. You hear our prayers and you intercede for us when we don't know what to pray. Please hold us firmly, Father, that we might cling to your truths in the Bible and that you would give us a deep love for you. Amen. Amen. Uh, Lord God, I pray also now for those Christians around the world who are facing um, persecution in countries like Afghanistan, Lord, where to be a Christian is um, to face death. Lord, I pray that um, you would give them a sense of your um, sovereign rule and reign over all things um, in the midst of the chaos of their lives. Um, and I pray, please, that you would give them a peace, um, knowing that you've got them in your hands and that you've, um, you've got eternity in store for all of us, Lord. And please help us to keep that in mind too. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, kids, we have something exciting for you this morning. If you're in years three to six, you guys get to go and join a Zoom meeting right now. Now, if you're not sure where to find that, you can find that where you click on the live stream link. There's a new little box down the bottom for you kids, um, which says Zoom. So you can go see your teachers, see your friends, at least see their faces. Um, and so that will be fun. And if you're in K to two, there's a new video for you, and I'm sure preschoolers, you might like to pop on and have a look at that too. So parents, that's a lot of setup. So if you need to press pause and come back and join us in a sec, do that. <laughs> um, something else to let you guys know about at the moment, um, just in terms of giving and keeping you updated. Um, so at the moment, church is about $35,000 behind budget, um, which sounds like a lot, but um, is very achievable. And I would just ask you guys to uh, all consider um, your giving at this time and whether that's something that you could um, give towards um, to help chip away at. Um, yeah, so prayerfully consider if that's um, something that you can do. Um, and if you can give online, follow the links via the website. We're going to read the Bible now. So grab your Bibles and you can open up to Esther. Jack's going to read that for us now. And then Roger and Jill are going to read Philippians for us. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, 
an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realising that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banqueting hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Hi from Jill and Roger in Saratoga. We're really looking forward to the day when we can all gather together again back at church. Today's New Testament reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hope to see you all again soon. God bless. Yeah, totally. Uh, we all miss each other so much, right? Missing you guys, missing seeing you. Uh, this is just such a bizarre thing to be in an empty room. Uh, we long, we keep praying for that day to be back together and a special shout out to you young families. It was so good to see a glimpse of, of the messiness, right? James and Alicia, good on you and everyone like you having a go. Uh, so good to see Nerylan, people who are watching this on their own, who are really feeling uh, cut off. Hello to you. Uh, I trust that this will be a part of what God is using to hold on to us, to stir us, to strengthen us. Uh, so how about I pray for us, then we'll dive right into this word. Uh, Father, we, we do thank you that we are with you now, that you are with us now by your Spirit. Uh, we thank you particularly that we can connect together uh, in the things of your word. We wish it could be in person, though we do thank you for this time and ask that it would be a great blessing. Uh, Father, that you would meet us where we are at, that you would uh, stir and strengthen, uh, that you would call us to uh, look to Jesus, to live for him, to trust in him another day, another week. We ask that this would be for your honour and for our good. Amen. Well, we are returning back to our study of Esther, a book in the Old Testament which covers the events of about 10 years and focuses in particularly on one of them. 
It's a very unusual book, very different to what we're used to, say, a Gospel of Jesus or a letter of Paul, because God's name isn't mentioned once. He doesn't speak once. There's no miracle recorded at all. So why is this book in the Bible? Well, because this compressed account becomes for us a window into what God is doing across the ages. See, what is God doing in our world, in our moment? That was a question that was asked around the dinner table at my place this week, and very sincerely, what's God doing? Particularly as my kids are growing in their awareness of the world that they live in, uh, particularly the brokenness of it, the pictures of Afghanistan, of September 11, of the uncertainty of a global pandemic. Where is God? What is he doing in all this? Well, the book of Esther sets us up to answer that question at both a very broad level, but also a very personal one. See, here's the thing. It's what makes the book of Esther so different to any other book in the Bible that actually makes it so relevant and relatable to our experience. See, much of life can be explained naturally, right? without referring to God. We can trace back the events of Afghanistan to September 11 and then even further back. We can take a bunch of cells and put them under a microscope and understand a virus that has brought the world to its knees. Many of the circumstances in our lives can even be traced back to decisions that we or others made. We swim in a culture that rarely needs to reference God to make sense of the events of history. Even as Christians, right, we, we swim in this culture and so we can think of our lives as very ordinary, very unspiritual. I mean, for, for many of us, no direct word from God, no miracle. Well, that's the book of Esther in the Bible which we'll see this morning has two key themes that are woven together for us that give us a window into what God is doing across the ages in our moment if we would have eyes to see it. So let's get to that. Bit of a recap. We're, we're diving back in after a short pause. This account is set in a real place, in a real moment in history, the ancient kingdom of Persia the rule of King Xerxes, who ruled from 486 BC to 465 BC, about a 21-year rule there. In fact, you'll see a, a timeline there. So this is before the time of Jesus, a real place, a real moment, where the Jewish people are facing a great threat, the threat of genocide, of being annihilated. Why? Well, come back to chapter 3, verse 1, because King Xerxes honoured a man named Haman, elevating him to give him a seat of honour higher than all the other people. But there's this man that Haman comes across, Mordecai, verse 2, who is a Jew who would not bow down before Haman. This infuriates him. Such is his pride, such is the nature of pride, that he determines to wipe out not just Mordecai, but the entire Jewish people, since Mordecai was a Jew. It's a plan that he brings to the king in possibly a, 
a, a subtle way, possibly deceives the king. But anyway, the, the king is the kind of king who just signs off anything. Yeah, whatever, go for it. He gives Haman the power to issue a decree for genocide. Meanwhile, Esther, who is a closet Jew, she's kept her Jewish heritage, ethnicity secret. Well, she becomes King Xerxes' queen, right? And she is compelled by Mordecai to step up to speak out on behalf of her people, to save them, to spare them. This is something that might actually mean death for her. See, no one was able to come and approach the king unless invited. And if you did that, you would be killed unless you found the king in a good mood who would excuse you. Well, that's where we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 1. She puts on her royal robes and she comes into the presence of the king. Surely her, her, her heart, her stomach churning. Yeah, yeah, these are the last steps that I'm ever going to take. But it just so happens that the king has woken up on the right side of the bed. He's in a good mood. And he asks, verse 3, Esther, what is it? Queen Esther, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Verse 8, her reply is to, well, come to a banquet with Haman that I'm preparing for you and I will answer the king's question. Verse 9, Haman, uh, the 2IC to the king, this, this impressive man, he heads home all excited about being included in the king's, the queen's banquet. But as he heads home, he comes across Mordecai who refuses to give him honour. And so Haman goes home, his wife and his friends are there and he says to them, well he starts boasting about, verse 11, all of his wealth, his many sons, the way the king had honoured him and so on. Verse 13, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. See, such is the case with pride, it's never satisfied. This guy has everything. He's the second most important in the world to the king, but that's not enough. Pride is insatiable, it's competitive, it's never satisfied. And so he actually loves his wife's idea of setting up a pole some 23 metres high to have Mordecai impaled on it. He loves it. He says, well, the wife suggests that he go to the king to get his approval and then get on with life. That's where we pick it up, chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king could not sleep. Just read that again. That night, the king could not sleep. This is such a compressed account spanning a, a lot of time. It slows down on this one verse, this one very ordinary human experience because it becomes the hinge to the entire book. It becomes a sliding doors moment. You know that expression, if, if you're old enough to remember that movie, it's way back in the 20th century, uh, the late 90s, a movie called Sliding Doors, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow plays the actress, which tracks two alternate stories, which head in radically different directions, and it plays them out kind of side by side as it goes on. And the very hinge point is whether she managed to get onto a train as the doors were sliding, she was rushing to catch it, one of them she gets on and off goes the story. 
But the other one, she just misses it and radically different trajectory. Well, here's the thing. If King Xerxes had fallen into a deep sleep that night, human history would never have been the same. It's that big a thing from so small a thing that all of human history would have been altered. But the God of the Bible is the God over coincidences. Because nothing, big or little, will throw history off his good purpose. That night, the king could not sleep. So, in order to try and get to sleep, he asks his attendants to bring in the chronicles of his reign, to read it to him. Now, this is kind of intended to be like reading a phone book. Again, if you're old enough to remember those things, the yellow pages that would get delivered, this is supposed to be boring. This is supposed to lull him off to sleep. But as it just so happens, they turn to the page where the record of a threat on the king's life that was foiled by Mordecai is read. Mordecai had stepped in to save the king's life. So verse 3, the king asks, What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Nothing has been done for him, they answered. Well, it seems that the king isn't the only one who can't sleep this night. Uh, Haman is so worked up, he is full of hatred for Mordecai that he can't wait for the morning, like his wife suggested, to get the king's permission. He's actually come to the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai. And as he comes into the king's presence, the king asks this question. What should be done for the man the king delights to honour? And naturally, because it's the way of pride to be self-consumed and, and focus in on yourself, Haman thinks, well, who else could he be talking about but me? And so he comes up with his dream. Here's what you should do, king. Verse 7, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, then lead him on the horse through the city streets, make a fanfare for him, exalt him, honour him. The king then demands that Haman, verse 10, go at once and do exactly this for Mordecai the Jew. Wow. This is the beginning of the end of Haman. Haman is humiliated. Mordecai is honoured. But it gets worse for Haman than just kind of his dreams dashed and a bit of egg on his face. Because chapter 7 is now the moment where Esther strikes. King Xerxes and Haman have come back to the second banquet that Esther has thrown for them. And she seizes the moment, verse 3, where she says to the king, If I found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. Now, this request of the king shocks him. What are you talking about? And Esther makes clear, well, her and the Jewish people have been set aside to be annihilated. And the king is furious. He says, verse 5, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? 
And the readers, us, we're thinking, um, you, Xerxes, you are the man who gave your signet ring to Haman back in chapter 3 to sign off on this decree to kill the Jews. Though, and there's a possibility that he's actually been um, fooled by Haman early on, tricked, that he didn't actually realise it meant the killing of, just rather the enslaving of. But anyway, we're not surprised. King Xerxes is a morally bankrupt, pleasure-loving little boy in a grown man's body. And so he's furious that someone would dare actually do something that only he, the king, he's not concerned for the people, he's just concerned out of his pride that someone is stepping on his turf to do such a thing. And so he leaves the room furious, Haman recognises what is going on, and he gets down on his knees. Because verse 6, Esther has says, it's this man, Haman an adversary, this enemy. And so, Haman heads home to the pole in his front yard, but not as he expected, as he is hoisted up and impaled on the pole. And then, verse 10, the king's fury subsided. There's three chapters that form the heart, the hinge of this account, this book in the Bible. Now there's more to come in the story, but we've been taken into this window of what God is doing in the account of Esther and then more broadly across the ages. What is that? Can you see it? It's the striking theme of reversal, of great massive reversal, a profound turning of the tables. The way the account is put together, we are supposed to be struck by these things. Let me take you through the contrasts, the reversals quickly. The book opens up with Mordecai dressed in sackcloth and ashes. Haman is highly honoured. He's the second most in person, per, person in the uh, kingdom. He wears the king's signet ring. Though, at the end of the book... Mordecai is clothed in royal robes. He wears the king's signet ring and we find at the end of the book that he is the second most powerful man in the kingdom. At the start, Haman is furious that Mordecai, the Jew, won't bow before him. It's what will lead to his fall. And yet, just before Haman's life ends, he's on the ground begging Esther, the Jew, for his life. Haman had a pole set up with the intent to have Mordecai hung on it, but his life ends on that very pole. And chapter 9, verse 25 puts it like this, his scheme against the Jews came back onto his own head. We're supposed to be struck by this massive reversal that has happened through these events. And there's even more, let me just give you a taste of it. The, the book opens up with two Persian feasts and it finishes with two Jewish feasts. It begins with an anti-Jewish decree and finishes with a pro-Jewish decree. At the start, Esther is identifying as a Gentile. She's a hidden Jew. But at the end, it's the Gentiles who are wanting to identify as Jews. This is a remarkable book. 
when you stand back and, and see the hinge and see the symmetry. In fact, it's so cleverly crafted and the, the symmetry is so striking that we might even be tempted to think, ooh, this is a little too neat to be true, isn't it? Is this more of a work of art than it is an account of history? Well, no doubt the author is a skilled artist who has used his, her, the author's anonymous, skilled to draw out the ironies and poetic justice in such a vivid and vibrant way. But only because they saw these ironies, these reversals in the events, not because they created them. Because here's the thing, God is the great artist behind these events, working a great reversal through the most mundane events, a king who couldn't sleep one night. God is a God of order, not chaos, of design, not chance. Esther is not a parable, but you might call it an artistic narration of history. An artistic narration of history, of things that really happen, that draw our attention to the God who is behind these things. And here's where the two big themes of Esther combine, to reveal the hidden hand of God who works great reversal for his people. There's the book of Esther in a nutshell. The hidden hand of God working a great reversal for his people. It's an account that captures about 10 years of history, as I said, but really focuses in on one, which then becomes something that becomes true of what God is doing across all of the ages, even our moment. This massive theme of reversal actually takes us into the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the kingdom of God is the way of reversal. And so often in a very hidden, subtle way. And we can know that for sure because of Jesus. Jesus. Think about that reading, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, who being, being God himself, eternally God, uh, enjoying all the privileges, all of the glory that is rightfully his as the eternal God, the one through whom and for whom everything was, ex- was created. This God, this Son of God, let go of all of his rights, his privileges, and reverses himself by binding himself with his creation in the man Jesus taking on the form of a servant, taking on the form of a servant. This thought that the eternal God would do this is unique among religious claims. In fact, it's offensive to any other religious way of thinking. I mean, try and picture this. Can you picture Xerxes as he's presented, as we've kind of get, got to know that... Uh, the, the man with all the power and pomp who wields it to his own pleasure. Can you imagine Xerxes seeing Mordecai down in the ashes dressed in sackcloth and Xerxes taking off his royal robe, stepping off his throne and joining Mordecai in the ashes? 
to identify with him, to walk alongside Mordecai. Can you imagine that? Laughable. In fact, offensive to any powerful ruler who thinks highly of himself. Well, multiply the glory that Xerxes had and abused, but multiply that by infinity. And this God came down in sackcloth and ashes to become one of us, to become a servant for us. He gladly reversed his position of glory to take on the form of a suffering servant. You know, we speak a lot about how God reveals himself in Jesus. If you want to know who God is, what God's like, what God's doing, look at Jesus. And for good reason, because the New Testament has so much to say, so does the Old, about God revealing himself in Jesus. The Word became flesh, Nerilyn. We have seen the glory of the unseen God. He speaks the word of God. He works miracles of God. In Jesus, God is revealing himself. What we don't often think about as much, I think, is how God hides himself in Jesus. How God hides himself. Think about this with me. God comes to earth incognito, undercover, in many senses, unrecognisable. I mean, you could have, in the first century, gone down to the market to get your supplies and lined up behind the God of the universe and not known it. The almighty, eternal God has come down as a carpenter. God is hiding himself in Jesus in that you could... Go past him and not realise you are in the presence of God. The same God who in the Old Testament, say Isaiah chapter 6, who just gets a glimpse of the train of his robe and hits the ground crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every time someone in the Old Testament just gets a glimpse of God, they hit the deck. And yet you could have walked up and bumped into him and not known that you've just bumped into God. In the coming of Jesus, in the incarnation, the enfleshing of God, God is hiding himself. More, it gets worse. Because he was dismissed as insane, as crazy, by his own family. The the almighty God who has created all things, uh, the God of the mind, was accused of being crazy and worse still the very leaders of God's people accuse Jesus of being evil of being the devil himself to to accuse the almighty holy righteous God of being the devil of being evil himself in many ways God hides himself in Jesus And in his hiddenness in Jesus, he is working to bring about great reversal for his people. The great reversal that Jesus comes to win for his people, the reverse of the curse of sin. Galatians chapter 3 captures it so clearly. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. Haman was condemned on a pole because his own evil intent came back on his head. But Jesus was killed on a cross because he reversed himself with the Hamans of this world, with the proud, you and me. Those who, in our pride, have been too busy looking in on ourselves and around ourselves that we've not looked up to God, not honoured him and served him and delighted in him as we ought. This eternal God reverses places with us, hides himself in the man Jesus, and reverses himself on the cross to take the judgment we deserve, that it might be fully and finally satisfied, that judgment rightly hanging over us, taken in Jesus. And in many ways, the, the cross comes about because of very ordinary, natural reasons. I mean, think about it. Jesus is put to death primarily because he caused a scene among the Jewish leaders. He comes to preach that the kingdom of God has come in himself, that he is the promised Messiah of all the Jewish scriptures, but he doesn't fit the bill. He doesn't fit the picture according to the Jewish leaders. And so they scheme to have him murdered, just as Haman schemes to come to Xerxes, the Jewish leader schemed to come to the Romans. You, you can put it down to religious reasons. Why does the Roman ruler sign off on his death? Well, political reasons. He just wanted to avoid a scene. He wanted to keep his nose clean. And we're not told of any direct involvement of Satan in the death of Jesus, though no doubt he was in it and delighted in it. The cross of Jesus, in one sense, is very explainable, has lots of ordinary, natural reasons. And yet, behind the ordinary is the God of all history, working every detail, working the very real decisions of men and women. And catch this, working evil to come back on itself. God reverses the intent of evil so that as surely Satan delights in the death of the Son of God, we find that on the cross, Colossians chapter 2, God is making a public spectacle over the spiritual powers, triumphing over them so that there is now no more condemnation for the enemies of God who can be reversed positions, no longer enemy, now a child, knowing God as Father. Everything about Jesus reverses the way that it had been. It reverses the way that you come into the people of God. It now no longer runs down ethnic Jewish lines, but rather it's for all and any who would call on the name of Jesus. It reverses the way that you stay in the people of God, no longer keeping law, but by receiving grace. And of course, then came the third day, Jesus' resurrection, which is the great reversal where death and decay give way to life and vitality. The crucified servant raised as the exalted Lord in power, the one before whom every knee will bow, even the proud. 
the very hope Jesus offers to all his followers, he is resurrected in. Those who would gladly follow him as Lord. The way of the kingdom is the way of a great reversal brought about by God, so often by his hidden hand, even in the work of Jesus. The unseen God who worked great reversal in the account of Esther was working that in the accounts of Jesus is the same God with the same hidden hand working the same event in our life, a great reversal. What is true in Esther in over just a few years, God promises will be true for you over all of yours. Do you trust him? And so as every part of the Bible causes this to us, do you trust God when he says, I will reverse your life? Let me uh, apply this particularly, this theme in, in three ways. Firstly, it's the tension of the timing of the reversal. See, we can read accounts like Esther, even Ruth that we've just done through, and we do see this remarkable turning around, this provision of God, this great reversal. But we can read these accounts and think, man, when is it going to turn around in my life? When is that great reversal moment coming to me? I, for years, decades maybe, feel like I'm Mordecai in the ashes wearing sackcloth. When will I be lifted up on the horse, robed in fine clothes? We also see the proud, we see the wicked, we see the arrogant continue to go on, unchecked. Uh, Justice that isn't served. The Hamans in the spectacular and the ordinary just go on living lives. When is this great reversal coming to my life, to our lives? Well, here's where we need to take great care with our timelines. And this is, this is Bible timeline for, for you. It's, it's now, this reversal, and it's not yet. See, Paul says this, Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Today, now, this moment, anyone who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will receive every spiritual blessing in him. The great reversal of becoming enemy to child. But then the same author, Paul says in Romans 13, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So that as many days as you've been a Christian, you are now closer to the day of your salvation. But hang on, I thought now was the day of salvation and Paul's now saying we're closer to it. Well, we shouldn't hope for anything less than God has promised for our moment. Let me say that again. We we shouldn't expect anything less than what God has promised, the spiritual blessings for his people right now before the return of Jesus. But to live with an expectation of full, final reversal, the kind that kind of gets presented in Esther, in Ruth, to to expect that now 
is to set yourself up for a fall. It's to go against what God has promised. Let me give you a taste of that in Jesus. Come to Luke chapter 6. Very familiar words of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, he's standing on a, on a mountain in Matthew, on a level plain, probably on the mountain in Luke. And verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because... Just pause there. Do you notice what's happening? Jesus is saying to his disciples, you will be hungry now, filled later. You will weep now, laugh later. You will be rejected now, rewarded later. When? Well, verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. There's the day where Jesus, where God promises to bring about the full and final great reversal. The day when Jesus returns to wrap up history as we know it when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess. Catch that. This Esther is a window into what God is doing. The full final reversal, it's yet to come. And so we, I, you, I'm sure need to keep hearing this message, and that is your best life is yet to come. Your best life is not this one. It won't have all the happy endings of Ruth, of Naomi, of Esther. In fact, Jesus promises otherwise. Hungry now, filled in heaven. Weeping now, laughing in heaven. Rejected now, rewarded in heaven. Your best life is not this one, it's yet to come. And I reckon this pandemic has been a wake-up for many of us Christians, especially those of us who haven't lived through such trauma and hardship, big moments in life. We might have seen pictures of 9-11 on the TV, but at a distance. We haven't been through any world wars or significant final financial stress. This pandemic, this is big, this is happening. And I think it's actually caused many of us to realise, oh, maybe this isn't my best life. It's shown the delusion that it is to live as a Christian thinking the great reversal and everything God promises will be enjoyed here on the central coast. It won't be. Esther points to a great reversal that God is working in his world. Look back to the cross, see the great reversal that happens there. Look to your life right now and trust that God is working every insignificant detail to his good end and long for that final day when the great reversal will come. That's the first and big thing for us in all of this. Here's the second thing, 
very quickly. The same hidden hand of God in Esther, in the life and work of Jesus, is the same hidden hand at work in your life. Trust him. Trust a word from him that you don't need to look for the spectacular. Thirdly, finally, embrace reversed values. The way of the kingdom is the way of reversal, which means our values, the things that we hold highly, are also reversed compared to the way of the world. Pride. In one sense, Esther and Haman in the account of Esther is a sustained illustration of the fate of the proud. That pride does come before a fall. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Embrace humility, weakness, lowliness, uncoolness. Second value for us to be mindful of at the moment is health. There is a lot of talk at the moment about physical health, and rightly so, understandably so. But in the midst of all of the talk, how are you going in valuing your spiritual health above even your physical? Because that's what Jesus values. The spiritual health even above the physical. There'll be a day when the physical will be restored with the spiritual, never to die, decay again. In this age, our spiritual health is what we must cling to, what we must encourage each other to cling to because the world won't do it. And we as followers of Jesus ought to live lives that are out of tune with the world because our lives have been reversed. Reversed in the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for this word of Esther and how with care and attention we, we just see what an amazing book that it is. How you have been working so powerfully in unseen ways. We thank you that it sets us up to understand Jesus, who he is, what he came to do. We praise you for his humility, that he would do that on our behalf. And we worship him as our Lord. We, we bow before him. Uh, Father, please continue to help us to live lives that look to the day of his return. When we have great comfort that everything that is sad will be undone, will be reversed. And so, Lord, give us faith another day, another week, as we long to see our Saviour face to face. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Here's what we're about to sing. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Let that be our hope that we cling to. If that's news for you today, then may this be something that you reflect on. And maybe you need to accept this gift, this great reversal. sing together.
year. Um, something that I've been needing to remind myself of each and every day, um, that this isn't my best life, that's yet to come. Um, and I encourage you all to be doing the same thing in the morning, in the afternoon, just to remind yourself um, that we as Christians wait for that day of great reversal um, when all things will be made new. Um, and it's such a wonderful thing to be reminded of and, and takes the, the burden and pressure off this life that we're living right now. Mm, for sure. Don't forget, we've got the Zooms coming up this week on Tuesday and Thursday. Be great to join in and hear about church and vaccination passports and all of those topics. So tune in for that. But that's it from us. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>